Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 182 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is August 15th. 2011. We've got a great show for you this week on the podcast. A couple weeks into USC fall camp. Not quite a couple weeks, but we're getting there. Lots to talk about about the USC Trojans. We're going to answer some of your questions. We've got a bunch of voicemail questions today. If you do have questions for us for a future show, drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com or give us a call, 206-888-6755. We've got a bunch of calls today, so we'll get to all those throughout the show. We want to talk about the team we talk a little about recruiting lots to get to and we love talking to coach harvey hyde in the first segment of the show coach what's going on well buddy i'll tell you uh, everything is just wonderful i'm enjoying the weather it's nice cool weather for camp which is important you can get a lot done a couple of night practices which are fantastic and when the kids aren't suffering through the heat you can really accomplish a lot and uh, i'm looking forward to talking to you about usc trojan football for sure, Coach. And uh, before we get into all of that, just wanted to thank our generous sponsor, Southern California Tickets. Uh, SCTickets.com is the website if you want to go there and you need tickets for anything, or you can call them 1-800-888-7287. Tickets for any kind of sporting event you'd want to. Of course, the season's coming up with college football, USC, even UCLA, if you want to go to a game over there at the Rose Bowl, anything like that. Hopefully, we'll have some NFL in uh, in Los Angeles sometime soon, Coach. It sounds like we're going to we're getting closer to that. Maybe we'll have tickets. We can get tickets for that as well. Well, I hope so. And I think that, uh, you know, I haven't really missed NFL football in L.A., and that'll probably get some people upset when I say that. But I think it gives us three or four years to get used to uh, it possibly coming. Now they have to go find a team where that team is going to play. If you were to ask me to predict, I would say the Rose Bowl in Pasadena because they are now uh, making the Rose Bowl in Pasadena really the state of an art stadium. It's absolutely fantastic. I've been over there and gone through it and watched them uh, build the new video boards and the new tunnels and the new press box that's getting ready to go up. There won't be a new press box this year, but they'll tear down immediately following this Rose Bowl game, the uh, south side section of the Rose Bowl. They're going to make it longer, too, where it'll go all the way down to like the 20-yard line add bigger suites, and then do the north side. And by the time an NFL team comes out to California, they'll have half of the uh, press box done, and they'll have the other half done the next year uh, that they uh, need to play in Southern California or the L.A. area before they have their new stadium completed, wherever that might be. And uh, I think it's uh, a great uh, opportunity for people to see NFL football. And uh, I think it'll be in addition to Southern California. And, but college football is still my love. I, w- I want you to know. I think college football is, is so exciting with the song girls and the bands and the tailgating and so on. There's nothing like that. Not that I don't appreciate it, the NFL and what they accomplish and what they do there. But I think college football has been uh, uh, the highlight of my career as far as watching it and, and coaching in it. No, I, I mean, I love college football, obviously, but I love the NFL as well, doing fantasy drafts and all that. And 
I, I do want to see the NFL come back to Los Angeles, but it is interesting, and you, you kind of mentioned it. There are a lot of the USC fan base that don't want to see the NFL. I don't know about a lot, but I mean, there's a, a decent percentage that don't want to see the NFL back. I don't know if it's just because USC is like the only game in town or, or what, but I, I think there's room for the NFL and, and big-time college football that USC brings to Los Angeles. Well, I, I think it brings a, a real... Uh let's say, money value to a team that comes to Los Angeles. Remember, owners make their money on their team on when they purchase it and when they sell it and what the value is. And immediately when you move a team to Southern California or the Los Angeles area, if your team is worth $600 million, it goes to a billion. And uh, that's exactly what it is because where it's located and so on. And the brand-new stadium and all the things that go along with it, and the city, again, uh, gets a lot of income and so on from – location of that uh, stadium and uh, the restaurants and, you know, people now uh, with the traffic the way it is uh, in Southern California will come early and leave late. So uh, it's going to bring a lot of revenue to Southern California. I think YSC probably and other Southern California universities, not just SC, will probably uh, look at it as a, as a possible share revenue revenue type of thing because there's only so many dollars that people can spend for boxes there's only so many dollars people can spend for corporate advertising and and uh, radio advertising and television advertising and so on and it it takes away from the opportunity for people to have a price tag on their product and uh, I think that'll take effect on all the other sports teams that are in Southern California. I really believe that because you've got the Lakers and you've got the Clippers and you've got all the Ducks and Kings and all of this, but there's only so much money to go around. So I, I think it'll take a toll on everybody. Yeah, we'll see. And there's there's lots of stuff, lots of uh, news going to be happening with the NFL and L.A. And is it going to be a downtown or a city of industry or would they temporarily play in the Coliseum or the Rose Bowl? There's so much stuff going on there, but it's kind of fun to talk about. Let's talk well, let about. Let me the... ask you, Brian. Let me ask you. Oh, yeah. Where do you think they should have the stadium? Uh, I mean, it just seems like right now everything's pointing towards downtown. I, I've been out to the city of industry location. Um, that's the Ed Roski led stuff, and he's on right. the USC uh, right. the board there. But I, I think both would be cool. It's just the, the one out in the industry is just kind of far away for me. It does. It is close to a lot of people, you know, closer to the end of the empire, things like that. But. I think it'd be neat to have something downtown, but you would need to improve access. Uh, you know, I think you know d- different metro lines or uh, expanding the freeways, which that takes a long time as well. But I think doing something like that overall in the long term, I think it would be good for Los Angeles. Well, I agree, but uh, getting seventy-five thousand people downtown to that area—wow! You Tough. think the freeways are crowded now? What yeah. if there's a Laker game the same day? They're going to have to schedule around all this because, remember, the Lakers play during football season. So there's going to be a lot of meetings and a lot of people fighting for time and schedules and all of this. But, uh, you know, uh, there's ways of working out everything, and, and I think that will happen. And, and I think it will be in L.A. too. I really do because they're trying to redevelop that area. They have a, uh, on the board and a lot of new hotels to be built and, and new restaurants and everything in that area, which are all income-producing. So I would say it's going to be L.A., nothing against Roski's facility or anything out there in venue. Who knows? But uh, I think it will be in L.A. too. But And speaking of improvements, when we were at the uh, Coliseum scrimmage yesterday, Sunday, um, there was, you know, I think it was uh, a week, 
a week before that on Monday, when you were down there, Coach, they had the two large poles that were up there because show how wide this video board was going to be. And then uh, yesterday, they actually had um, some structure in place around it so you could see how wide it was going to be. Um, it's a pretty big uh, scoreboard area. It's, it's like a section and a half of, of seats are covered by this scoreboard area. So it's going to be it'll be interesting to see. I don't know if they're going to get it done. Uh, you know, with 19 days left or something to the season, but hopefully they can uh, get it up there. It'd be great to see for that first game. Well, I think they better get it done because, uh, you know, you only have, what, seven home games, and if you don't have it ready for one game and the first three games are at home, you'll lose one-third of your season or half of your season by not having it ready. And uh, I think whoever's in charge of doing that, whether it's the Coliseum Committee or USC, I don't think it's USC, but, uh, you know, Planning and getting those things done are important. I remember the Rose Bowl had to get their their boards done in time for that World Cup game they had over there. And uh, they were done. And they were up. And they were running. You know, when you have deadlines, you're supposed to reach those deadlines. And I think uh, those are things that have to be uh, planned on and done. And uh, excuses are for losers. Okay? We'll, go, we'll, we'll move on after that. For sure. We had, we actually had J.K. McKay on our Ustream show a couple of weeks back, and he, he seemed to think it was uh, on schedule, and uh, they do have a lot of it done. We'll see. I don't know what's what's left. I don't know much about the construction business there, and especially putting up a you know huge flat-screen TV, but well, we'll see. Let me ask you, who, who's in charge of that? Is that a, a school project or the Coliseum? No, I think that's part of the agreement that the school made with the Coliseum, yeah. that they had okay. to do a certain amount of improvements. So I believe it's still on the Coliseum side. Yeah, well, I suggest they get it done. I, I suggest the same, problem. Coach. Um, well, let's uh, let's talk about this team a little bit. You've got to to see them in person and and you know read about what's been going on and and digest things of what's been out there. Any kind of big storylines that that come to your mind of of what's going on with this team? You know, it's a talented team, a lot of unproven talent, but there's there's still a lot of talent on this team. I'm curious to see what you think about what what you've seen so far. Well. Uh, what I've seen is a lot of great athletes, okay? Had a chance to uh, talk with a lot of the parents on Monday night that were out there and discuss uh, their kids as well as the, the team and, and uh, the progress of the team. And uh, the team was very enthusiastic on Monday night because uh, there was a, it was a really their first hitting affair. I was somewhat a little bit surprised that they hit that much, 122 plays, a full game, the third days in pads, you know, I, I, I was very surprised at that because normally you have a period of time, at least this is my philosophy. Uh, anybody can have their own opinion. Of course, I want everybody to understand that, that you get used to wearing your pads. You get used to, uh, running your plays with the timing and understand the blocking skills and things you have to do as a unit and why a play worked and why it didn't work and, and that type of stuff. Uh, athletic athlete wise, man, I tell you, I wouldn't change the athletes for any team in the Pac-12. I just want you to know that. I mean, I've been saying that all along. Um, I was a little surprised that they ran so many plays offensively. They stayed more or less basic on defense. They did some blitzes, but not many, and a little early to do that type of stuff. Believe me, when you go against the offense because the defense is always ahead of the offense we all know that it better be but you can make the do the do the wrong thing and make a play and everybody thinks it was a great play but you did the wrong thing but your guy was uncovered but uh, uh me i approach things a little differently i would have probably run a couple of series completely what i mean i'd have run maybe 15 
tosses or sweeps and then cut it up and say why they worked and why they didn't work. And uh, then maybe a couple of flips off the toss and maybe a belly off the toss and uh, start to put it together where players can see why a play worked one time and why it didn't work the next time. And you sort of get your timing a lot better when you're able to uh, use be a unit. Uh, it's difficult to move players around during a scrimmage and uh, get the same real perspective as a unit or a team. Uh, but uh, a lot of hitting. I was very surprised at 122 plays with that much hitting uh, that early. But, of course, uh, last year they didn't hit. Maybe this year they feel they got to hit more that early. And that's what they're going to do. Maybe they're going to let up a lot here the next week or two. I know they got a scrimmage coming up again. They had one yesterday, 140 plays, I think. Yep. And they've got um, uh, another scrimmage, I think, on, I don't know what it is, the 27th, 28th or whatever, and next Sunday, too, at 11.30. So they're getting a lot of hitting. And, and you, know, you know, I always feel you, you don't want to out-hit your team. You want to keep your team fresh. You wanna, don't want to get them beat up. You want them to look forward to scrimmages. Sometimes as a football player, and anyone who played football out there understands, you get sore and you're beat up and your forearms are so sore, you can't even get hit They're so sore. So you've got to be careful on not beating up your team, and I think it's important to keep your legs somewhat fresh and bring them back. And I think game week when it comes back, you, you really cut it back and rehab and get everybody ready to go. They've been real fortunate. They've lost, I think, one guy on a – Apollo, the center, reserve center, refreshment center on a surgery. I think, what do you have, a knee or a shoulder? Yeah, a shoulder, or something? yeah. Yeah, and, and that's that's a shame. That's absolutely a shame. But that's going to happen in fall camp, okay? That happens. So, uh, you know, that that's going to happen to whoever. And I think they've got to get Woods's ankle well. They, I mean, he has nothing to prove to anyone. I think you got to keep your conditioning and keep him well. He's either number one on the depth chart or he's standing next to me. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he he doesn't need to run second unit. Uh, he doesn't need to prove anything. So he's either a starter and well enough to practice, or he's going to stay conditioned, work out, do what it takes to be ready for our first game. And, and, you know, I think kids understand that. I think parents understand that. I think people understand that these are certain players on your team that have already proven themselves, and you need to have them around to perform on game day. And there are others that are still trying to perform or fight for a position on the team. Then I think they need to get out there and they need to play. And you know what kids will do? Kids will play hurt. Kids will play hurt, and I think you expect some of that because you're competing for a starting position. But you've got to be smart enough to know when a kid is participating when he shouldn't be because you need the kid for the season. So, you know, I I think that – I was surprised they moved Walker so quickly from tackle to guard. Uh, I watched that. I watched him closely. Not every play, but on Monday night I watched him in the scrimmaging, and uh, I was surprised they moved him down so quickly to number one. Uh, but uh, uh, you know uh, they did. So uh, obviously they weren't happy with their inside player. They felt their inside play wasn't physical enough, and they needed to uh, get more physical inside of the position and and you know i don't see the tape so i really don't know what's going on uh, they didn't well run well inside but i think you got to stretch the field in order to run well inside and uh and uh otherwise i thought it was uh i thought the defense is very athletic very athletic i mean uh, 
the secondary, uh, you know, a lot of people are talking about the secondary. I think the only problem with the secondary is who do you play? Yeah. You have so many great players. <laughs> there are. You really do. It's crazy how and many guys. It is crazy. And if you took the four top receivers that SC had and they went to another school all of a sudden, the next four could step up and you could win with them too. I really believe that. I really believe they're so talented in, uh, in the defensive back position and the receiver position and the defensive line position. And I think the offensive line will come along as they play together, and you've got to keep them as a unit. You've got to do a lot of timing. I saw a screen play. They ran a screen on Monday night to the left. I think it was McNeil who caught it. I, it was The timing was good on it, but I'd like to have seen them run that maybe five or six times just so that you can break it down. All screen plays are timing, 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 timing so that you get a screen series really going. It's pretty hard to just run it once in a while run it to the left, run it to the right, and, and do different types of screens so that you you don't even have to hit. You just have a screen period where you're running screens for 10 minutes because it's all timing and dumping the ball off and looking off and how you get out there and set up your blocks. But I think a screen package is very, very important. And I think also short yardage is very, very important. You've got to believe that you can pound the ball in and get that one yard no matter where you are, no matter who you're playing against at any time of the game, because it makes a difference. So I saw the first scrimmage, and uh, I think there are a great number of athletes out there. It's just getting them in the right place, the right position. Uh, I understand they move, that Ambles go over and run some secondary play. That's what I heard in and at one of the practices, Ryan? Yeah, he uh, they actually put him in a white jersey for a defensive jersey, took his number off. Uh, but he wasn't even out there yesterday, so I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say what's kind of going on with him. It it seemed like him and Curtis McNeil were on a similar boat where Curtis was practicing and Ambles wasn't. So there's there's probably some behind the scenes stuff going on there. But um, they're waiting to see he's, if if he doesn't pass his classes, then he's not going to be participating. So we're we're still waiting to see what happens with that. Okay, I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering because he's yeah. a great receiver too. You know, if there are a couple of guys that I would move around to different positions, but I won't mention their names because I don't think it's fair for me to second-guess people. But I know one thing, you better have your athletes on the field, all 22 of them at the same time. It doesn't do you any good to have great backups when you're weak somewhere else. And I think that's happening. I think the kicking game is going to be improved. And uh, I think we're, and I'm sorry I missed the, the practice uh, yesterday, but I had a little eye surgery on Tuesday, and the doctor said you got to stay out of the sunlight. So I'd have looked real cool in my shades, oh, but uh, cool. they look more like welding glasses. <laughs> people, people would have thought that I had a new job building a new stadium or something, <laughs> or working on the freeways. So uh, I elected to listen to the doctor, so I didn't go. So it's very difficult for me to talk about what happened Sunday. But I'll be out there on Wednesday evening at 6 p.m., and we'll see what they're doing out there, and I'll be able to comment on that. And uh, all of that. How about questions? We have any questions this week? Oh yeah, uh, I know we're we're running out of time quick. But here we we do have a question from Gene Coto de Casa. Coach Hyde, we keep hearing how the number of players were down so much last year. How did we get in this position? I know we have a few players that transferred last year, but not anywhere near the number we were down. Was this because Pete did not recruit enough players, or what? Thanks for your reply and fight on. That's from Gene. Well, you know, just uh, as I recall, I, I think what you have to look at, first of all, yes, players did leave and, and transferred and moved on because the NCAA came up with this brilliant 
idea that players should be able to leave was they want them to have a bowl experience. Well, all they need to do is allow USC to go to bowl games, and they had that experience, okay? Uh, but no, they had to take that bowl experience away from SC along with all the other things they did. So those geniuses couldn't figure that out. So it was just another way for them to uh, uh, figure out a way to weaken USC, hoping maybe more players would have transferred than did. Uh, so the numbers uh, went down, and I give a lot of credit to players who believed in USC, stayed at USC, and and a part of the USC family. I really give them credit because it's very easy sometimes to think about, I think I'll transfer out and play somewhere else. It doesn't always work out that way. That's like running away from other things in life when you're afraid to take the challenges and understand what life's all about. And that's what life's all about. Everything isn't always good. So, uh, And then also, remember, Pete Carroll's philosophy was if it wasn't a four-star or five-star, uh, we're not going to recruit him. If it's not a kid that's out, we're not going to recruit a kid out of state unless he's going to be a number one draft choice. And in most situations, that always turned out to be true. So he always felt good in having a few scholarships around to utilize, to utilize for last-minute changes and so on. And also he loved to give scholarships to a lot of the players who were walk-ons when they became seniors to uh, – let's say, enhance the grade point average of the of this team. And I hate to say this like this, but it's very smart. And maybe I shouldn't be doing this segment because sometimes I give away secrets. But <laughs> what, you, what you do a lot of times is you keep scholarships available and you give uh, several students that are 4.0 students or 3.8-point uh, grade by students scholarships their senior year. And what does that do to the overall grade point of your of your football team well it raises the grade point of that team scholarship wise and then the ncaa just loves you and you don't get penalized in in any way as far as losses of your ratings and so on and so on and now i don't know if usc does that and i'm not saying they do that but i do know people do that and i'm not saying usc does that but i'm just saying that can be done if you can figure that out yourself and all of our listeners can figure that out themselves and I think the numbers got down. I don't think Pete Carroll ever used all his scholarship numbers because he had great players. He wanted his great players to play. He didn't want to uh, have a lot of great players on the bench. Remember the one year he had like 10 tailbacks, and the <laughs> ones that did transfer all went on and started. Green went on and started at Arkansas, and all these players went on. They're great players. So I think uh, he became smarter knowing it's better in recruiting not to stockpile a lot of players, but because it's harder to go out and get players when they say you already got 10 running backs coach, you already got four quarterbacks coach. So I think uh, Pete was a great recruiter and a great motivator. And coach, the players who played with him loved him because he was a player's coach. And if you know what I mean by that, he was a guy that would hug you. He was a guy that got in your face. He was a guy that acted like you, jumping up and down and saying, how do you love it, you love it, you love it, you love it, you love it. And uh, the media loved him. Uh, people loved him. Parents loved him. When he went into a home, you'd get a, you'd get, you would really get a home visit because the mother wanted to meet Pete Carroll. The kid wasn't interested in all in going to the school. But the mother, because he's such a good-looking guy, the mother wanted to meet him. So, you know, all of these things helped USC and Pete Carroll. It was a great era for USC, 
And Lane Kiffin, too, has had to follow a legend, and it's very difficult. Ask the coaches that followed John Wooden. Ask the coaches that followed John McKay. Ask the coaches that followed Woody Hayes. Ask the coaches that followed Bo Schimblecker or Bear Bryant, Bear Bryant or any of these. It's a very difficult thing. And not only did Lane Kiffin follow uh, Pete Carroll, he came in with a very controversial time. I mean, man, oh, man, the atomic bomb was dropping it on the campus at USC. It was most unheard of penalties I've ever heard of, and I'm not afraid to say this and, and say that I don't know who put those penalties together. That's unheard of, absolutely unheard of what they did to the Trojans. And the Trojans are strong enough to get through this. You watch. The Trojans will fight through this adversity, and they will have a great season this year. And, uh, and when we get closer to the season and we get closer to talking about games and so on, we can really discuss that. We can really discuss that. But that's why I think what happened. And do I know for sure? No, I don't know for sure anything. But all I can do is give you my opinion. All right, Coach. Well, great stuff as always. And we appreciate your opinion. I know everyone out there, out there they, like to li- they like to listen to it. I like listening to it as well. Uh, but thanks again, Coach, for coming on. And hopefully the everything's okay with your eye, with the eye surgery. And We'll see you out there at some practices, and we'll talk to you next week on the show. Well, thank you very much. The reason the doctor gave me the eye surgery was he didn't think I was seeing the right things on the field. Okay? <laughs> he says, we need to give you some new eyes so you can talk better. All right. Well, so we'll, we'll so I think I'll, I'll improve, I hope. Uh, yeah, well, even better opinions from you from uh, future shows. Okay. Well, Coach, thanks again, again. thanks, Ryan, and thank all our listeners for their questions and uh, putting up with us. Yeah, for sure, and thanks to Southern California Tickets. And uh, we'll be back talking more Trojan football right after the break. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We're joined by uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. He was out there at the Coliseum yesterday in the hot sun watching the uh, Trojans at their second Pre-game, I guess, or with it pre, the Lane Kevin calls it a game now. Now, pre-season, Dan, preseason game, preseason game. Yeah, they do the whole you know game day routine and all that, and getting the buses and all of it. So uh, yeah, they uh, uh, are going to do one more of those. So uh, yep, uh, and 140 plays. So uh, that was uh, they were getting a lot of uh, getting a lot of work. Yeah, the the first team was out there most of the first half. There are some guys that. That sat out, but then most of these starters are, you know, got to got to sit down in the second half. Not all of them, but a lot of them got to spend their time in the the one end zone, you know, the the tunnel side of the Coliseum, running on the, you know, running laps or I mean, going back and forth, riding their bikes, doing stuff like that. So it, there there was 140 plays, but probably for the starters, only about half of that. Right, and a lot of uh, you know that you realize. I mean, there is a lot of. Uh, uh, luxury and a lot of difference between this year and last year and that alone is is i don't i don't even know that we can really measure 
what that ma- you know what the difference exactly is going to be, but it really is a difference to be able to uh you know just give a lot of guys plays to have uh, you know have competition and all that it may take uh, a little uh you know a little more you know more time to decide you know exactly what combination of guys and and all of that but uh when you look at that secondary and you got maybe a, a couple of potential starters not there and you just you don't really notice it uh the fact that you know we were t- t- they're still trying to figure out offensive uh you know the guard situation and how they and they you know cycled in five different players last week uh i mean that is just something they couldn't do at all last year and so uh uh you know you got to like that uh it might not give you a sense of exactly who they're going to do what with uh you know you, you they were in there yesterday without robert woods without bryce butler uh, Brandon Carswell, you know, had his tie, his quads tightened up a little bit at the start after catching a couple of balls, so uh, he wasn't in there. And uh, they still have, uh, you know, a lot of guys to cycle through. That gave uh, uh, Moss Lee, the freshman, a chance to catch seven balls, and uh, he just keeps making plays. It gave Kyle Prater a chance to catch some. Uh, gave uh, both uh, the freshman tight ends, uh, Red Ellison, got some stitches in his thumb on Saturday, so. Uh, you saw uh, both uh, Xavier Grimble and uh, uh, Randall Telfer catch. Uh, you know, I guess between them they caught eight eight balls, and uh, Grimble got a couple of touchdown passes. So uh, I, I think there are some positives uh, to the numbers uh, that we see, even if we uh, you know don't have an exact sense of who's going to do what, when, you know, and, and how this all going to work together. Uh, well, there's one issue you you mentioned the guard play. Lane Kiffin wasn't extremely happy with. The way the guards are playing, they moved in some different guys. But there's one issue that might have something to do with the way Matt Barkley's playing. So here's a voicemail question on that. Stay tuned for this right here. Hello, my friends. This is Guy calling. And uh, I have a question that could be answered by anyone, I suppose, uh, Dan or uh, Coach Hyde. Uh, my question is, it concerns specifically the, the, the problems of the snap between uh, Alec, I mean between Holmes, Khaled Holmes, and uh, Matt Barkley, I don't understand why this is continuing to happen, and I, I'm worried that uh, uh, stubbornness might be uh, a problem in in the coach's mind. Uh, the coach, the coach, trying to force something to happen that isn't happening naturally. I know that Holmes's neck is a problem, but. I don't understand why why Cody Kessler keeps getting clean snaps from Abe Markowitz, and yet uh, a third-year starter like Barkley uh, cannot get clean snaps. Thank you in advance. Fight on. Okay, well, uh, I think you know a little bit of it is uh, uh, Talad sets up a little differently. Uh, there, there just is. Uh, uh, I think that mechanically uh, it's something that uh, you know he has worked on a lot. I mean, he didn't he didn't have contact in the spring. Uh, they kind of uh, you know took it easy in the summer, but he did he was snapping the whole time. Uh, uh, but you you have to admit when you look out there that you know Abe Markowitz probably is the m- m- most mechanically sound of the snappers. Uh, how much of an issue? The fact that uh, by moving college to center, you take away the uh, uh, the pounding maybe doesn't have somebody directly over him, and he doesn't have that uh, you know shot uh, where he uh, you know pretty much was dealing with singers 
through the end of the year. And, and it, you know, it was very much of a question of, you know, can you play this week, can you play that week. I don't know that we can, you know, measure one of those against the other. You know, if you're going to say, well, which is more important, you know, uh, you know, making sure, you know, you've got Colin in the game and, uh, you know, taking the uh, uh, snaps as they come and see if they improve and see if they, I mean, Matt said at the end of last week, you know, we're really working on it. Uh, I know they haven't really wanted to, you know, admit that it's kind of an issue and, and the shotgun snaps are, are kind of an issue. There's a, a trajectory that you're, you know, that you're getting uh, that uh, uh, causes Matt often to, you know, have to reach up and, and you know, and, and grab the ball. And that's one of the other things, you know, people were thinking, well, if you have trouble with the direct, you know, with the uh, center snap uh, uh, where the quarterback's under, under the center, could you, you know, do some more shotgun, uh, and that snap itself is not a lot better. I don't, I, I you know, if, if, if the neck isn't an issue, it doesn't seem like it would be a terrible move to put Khaled back to guard where he really had a good year last year. He could still make the calls, the center, uh, uh, the, the blocking calls that the center usually makes. Uh, uh, let's see, Jeff Ayers did that when he was a guard. Uh, so, uh, uh, and if you end up with a trio in there of John Martinez, Abe Markowitz, and uh, uh, Colin Holmes, all three are actually uh, center snappers. So you'd have the ability for any one of them to, you know, uh, slide in and do that. And with Markowitz, looks like his foot's going to be fine. And with him mechanically being the better uh, or the best of the three centers, uh, we'll see. I, I think it's something they're going to have to think about. I think they were getting slightly better with uh, Holmes by the end of the week, but uh, you do hate to see uh, Matt held up just a little bit extra where he's got to reach for the ball, look for the ball, doesn't get away. That's not his his uh, strength anyway. It's his takeaway in that first step or two away from center, and you hate to see that get held up a little bit even more. So uh, it's, it's something certainly to watch, something to think about. All right, well, thanks for that one, Guy. It's something – Certainly, we've been talking about it a little bit, and I think it's a good point to bring up. Uh, we have a question from Brian. Uh, he wants to know, what have you noticed Kiffin does that you think he picked up from Pete Carroll, specifically the fun, loose atmosphere during practices, pregames, etc.? Thanks for the podcast and you stream. I'm in Salt Lake City, and Etsy info is hard to come by. Brian. What's he picked up from Pete? Well, I mean, if you saw the little video, the YouTube with uh, Cyrus Hobby doing the, uh, uh, you know, the, the uh, uh, male stripper act uh, the other day uh, at the uh, in the meeting room, that was hilarious. I mean, it was, uh, and uh, you know, you watched uh, the coaches sort of taken off uh, as they, uh, uh, you know, as he uh, got into his, his act. I thought. Uh, 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 that was uh, as, as funny as anything we had seen with with Pete. So uh, uh, you know, I think Lane, you know, Lane isn't as publicly, uh, you know, let's have fun and let's do this and that and the other thing. And he's much more uh, all business on the field. He's not as much kidding around on the field, but uh, it does look like these kids are having fun. I mean, everybody you talk to. Uh, uh, parents and, and what have you think the kids, uh, you know, uh, like really like one another, really get along well together. They seem to, you know, spend a lot of time together. There are uh, not a lot of clicks. Uh, you know, they really just, uh, uh, 
you know, enjoy themselves. And uh, so it's, it's a, a much more low-key. It's not as obvious, uh, uh, you know, what they're doing. And, and maybe Lane himself, although I think Lane has got a, a, a much more uh, uh, much more of a sense of humor. Uh, it's just uh, very much understated, low-key, and dry. He just doesn't come across uh, in the same way that Pete did. But, uh, but I do think they're having fun. Uh, it's just it, it manifests itself, uh, you know, in a different way. Uh, I'm trying to think of anything else with Pete. Cause Lane has kind of gone the other way from Pete in some things, like uh, no walkthroughs uh, uh, on the road and the road games and things like that. Much more just uh, an NFL approach. I think uh, it's interesting. You know, Lane didn't have you know nearly the NFL background that Pete does, but I think Lane does things more. Uh, more of a, an NFL approach uh, to uh, you know the way he conducts business and uh, that Pete did. Uh, let's see if there's anything else that's so directly from Pete. Like they don't do uh, the uh, Tuesday uh, lunch, you know, press conference lunches anymore. Or something. There's some differences, but I do think there's some similarities. Just the openness. I mean, they have to close things down a little bit more because of the sanctions, or at least USC is making some decisions to interpret sanctions a certain way. But still the fact that you can go to off-season workouts, you can go to all the practices and watch practices, that stuff has still continued on. Right, and they don't talk, you know, they don't put guys off limits. I mean, there are an awful lot of programs where, you, you know, you really can't talk to the players much at all. Or even uh, assistant coaches. They don't know what's yeah. going on. Uh, uh, that's not the case here at all. Uh, and so, uh, uh, you know, I, I would say it's, it, it's a continuation in a lot of ways. It just doesn't have that kind of bubbly, uh, you know, uh, personality. Uh, you know, it's not uh, Pete running around, uh, you, know, throwing, uh, you know, throwing the football uh, before and after practice and all that kind of thing. It's just not – that's not what Lane – Lane does, uh, but uh, but I do think the kids are having a lot of fun. I really that if you didn't see that YouTube with Cyrus Hobby, uh, just the, the the general you know sense of uh, of having fun that those kids uh, you know showed in the meeting room, uh, uh, it was uh, it was hilarious, and uh, 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 that wouldn't have happened uh, if a coach uh, didn't want to didn't want it to happen. Uh, so that's certainly happening with Lane's blessing. And uh, I just think uh, we may not know as much about those kinds of things as we did with Pete. Pete, I think Pete kind of liked to bring everybody in on that kind of thing. And I think with Lane, he doesn't need to do that. He He's just happy to do that just for the team uh, and uh, not so much uh, uh, where Pete kind of was, you know, was more open to everybody uh, being part of it. Uh, I think with Lane, it's mostly uh, the players and uh, players and coaches. Um, and we had an interesting question. We, uh, Coach Harvey Hyde talked about this a little bit in the last segment. We had two questions that were kind of along the same lines. Maybe kind of get your thoughts on this. Tarion uh, wrote in and said, I believe Coach Kiffin has done an amazing job building up the roster, but I, but if I can be forgiven for the lack, for the last look back, I still don't understand how the roster got so depleted under the last year of Pete Carroll. Can you guys shed some light on this? And had he not left, would Carroll have had to face the same problems of his making? And it's a similar question to what we got in the last day we're talking about. You know, how how was the roster so depleted 
uh, you know, what what were the issues there? So we would get kind of get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think they uh, they seem to, for example, I think uh, offensive line. Uh, I guess both. You know, if you look at both both lines, uh, you didn't have coaches maybe at those positions who were national recruiters and natural really naturally pushed for their positions. And for some reason, uh, toward the end, they didn't seem to be areas of concern as much for Pete. Uh, you know, I think, you know, he built, uh, when he started, you know, he built around uh, guys like Sean Cody, for example, and probably the first really big, important, you know, major recruit. But I think as it went on, I think Pete's focus was more on uh, – and Pete's involvement was more with the, uh, you know, the skill positions, the uh, quarterbacks, running backs, uh, you know, wide receivers and things like that. And over the last three or four years, it just slipped away a little bit with some of those uh, uh, positions of, uh, you know, that turned out to be the depleted ones where, you you know, you didn't have uh, enough offensive linemen in the pipeline. You didn't have enough uh, – you know, maybe defensive linemen in the pipeline. And it, it didn't seem to matter, uh, say, through, you know, 2008, you've got, you know, four guys that go to the NFL and start, you know, as a, in, at linebackers. I mean, nobody did that in history. Problem is, those four guys are gone in 2009. You know, I mean, and that was like, I don't know that any, anybody in, in college football has ever had to adjust to losing four guys to the NFL as starters at linebacker in the same year. And uh, so they they just ended up with some imbalance, I think, in positions and, and under-recruiting in other positions. And, yes, Pete would have had to face the exact same problems last year. I think there's no question about that. So the ability to get the roster back to where it is and the numbers, even if it, you know, it's a relatively young roster, uh, I think has been absolutely magnet- magnificent what Lane has done. Uh, in terms of recruiting, I'm not sure there's anybody in the country that could have put together, uh, you know, the roster the way he did under the pressure he's been under uh, with the two recruiting classes that he's had coming in here. Uh, I, I, you know, I think people sort of, you know, take for granted that, boy, he's a good recruiter. I think we, what he's done in the last two years in terms of recruiting and balancing the roster and filling things out and, and, and under the gun with the NCA and all that, or beyond anything you could have ever hoped for, or uh, you know, even even imagined that Lane could have done. I mean, I he and and the staff gets a lot of credit too. I think that you have a staff that's really bought into this is how we do things. And, I mean, more so than Pete's staff. I think you know Pete had Pete and uh, three or four you know of his coaches uh, you know did the bulk of the recruiting. I think in this staff you really have everybody. Uh, you know, buying into uh, this is how we have to do it under uh, under the you know circumstances we find ourselves. So, uh, uh, but definitely Pete would have uh, Pete would have had to deal with those, and and it might have been uh, you know a factor when when Pete you know decides you know this probably is the time to go back to the uh, NFL. I wouldn't it would not surprise you if that would have factored in. Is it would have been a real challenge uh, to get this roster back to where it is and. Um, uh, we cannot, we cannot say enough about how Lane has done this. Yes, and I think without the sanctions, if Pete Carroll left and the sanctions weren't this severe, 
Um, you know, Lane Kiffin would have had an easier time with the roster last year, and so would have Pete Carroll if he stayed. I mean, there was certainly issues of the transferring, the whole free agent rule and all of that. You know, a, a guy like Chantrell Henderson and really a position of need where they were getting, maybe they were getting too many quality guys instead of a, a good quantity, but you lose one of those quality guys, and Henderson was one of them, a five-star dude. Uh, that that It just had a bigger impact. And there were situational stuff, too, where at linebacker, like a Frankie Telford who was going to, you know, really projected to do well, you know, with a medical issue, not being able to play. And same thing with a Jarvis Jones and then having a couple of guys that were essentially committed and, you know, not, you know, decommitting at the last minute or picking other schools with Vontez Perfect and Manti Teo. So I think certain positions got hit a little bit harder than others. And uh, I think a lot of it was situational, just kind of freaky things happened. But the culmination of everything when all that stuff happened at once it, it just really made for a roster that wasn't up to the the standards that i think the usc fans expected yeah and the fact that i think they dealt with it in a way that you know they didn't you know it wasn't the end of the world uh they just went on and made the best of it and and i mean literally made the best of it uh the way uh you know it's gone you know, last year and this year, and some of the the departures may have been for the better. Who knows? I mean, they may end up in the long run uh, with uh, you know some of the guys that aren't here. It might be better than uh, you know had they been here. It might you know they may you know you may get lucky, you may get unlucky in some ways, and you may get lucky in other ways. That's why you know it is so important to be able to you know really work that roster and know what you're doing. And uh, I know people. Don't know, for example, you know, Lane said, when you talk to him, he says, yes, we have a plan. Yeah, we have a very specific plan. No, we're not going to tell you what that plan is. We're not going to tell you what those numbers are. But we know, you know, we know what we're trying to do, and we really do. This is not something we're just doing by, uh, you know, know, a feel. And you really do have a feeling, and I know there's been a lot of discussion about numbers and positions and offers and all of that. you know, it's the kind of thing, it's great to see all the interest in it. It's probably not the thing that uh, we have enough information to be able to absolutely, credibly, uh, you know, second-guess some of it, just because we really, you know, we really don't. I mean, there are uh, decisions about what can you do and what can't you do. How how are you going to count these numbers? How aren't you going to count them? Uh, all of that kind of thing. And we really don't know, uh, you know, what, what might be coming down the you know, the pike and what might be, uh, you know, this particular ruling or that particular ruling. So, uh, I mean, so far, I thought they've been, you know, really sure-footed in, in everything they've done. Uh, it's been uh, kind of amazing to watch it, and probably they haven't gotten enough credit uh, for what they've done. And the, it's the area that, you know, you would have expected that they would have taken the biggest hit. And I, if you read all the national media, at least, uh, they were guaranteeing pretty much that they were going to take a giant hit. And to this point, they haven't taken a hit. I mean, it's amazing uh, that they have, uh, you know, handled it the way they have and given themselves a chance, uh, uh, you know, over the next few years. Uh, we'll see how this all plays out. I'm, I'm still not, you know, convinced that, uh, that it's going to play out exactly the way the NCAA thinks it's going to play out. We'll see. But, uh, uh, it would it's amazing uh the position they're in considering what you know the position they were in 
uh, it's not probably where people thought they would be. I agree with you 100%, Dan. All right. Well, we appreciate you uh, coming on. We're going to try and squeeze one more segment with Gerard Martinez, so we're going to uh, let you go, and uh, we'll see you out there on the practice field. No no practice today. It's move-in day, Dan. So How about that? That's right. Yeah, they're going get to the, get three Mondays off, and that'll you know, get them ready for the season as well. So that's uh, that's uh, it's interesting. What we're seeing is fewer uh, two-a-days, which is a good thing, I think. There's just two two-a-days this year. And, and if you look at other schedules, more, most of the teams in the Pac-12 have like four or five two-a-day sessions. Uh, but uh, the, uh, the flip side of that is uh, fewer days off. So, uh, so they're getting in more practice days, uh, fewer uh, two-a-days. And uh, it's kind of interesting. I'm not sure which uh, – <laughs> I'm not crazy about the two days, so I think I, I actually think this is a better way to go yeah. uh, to basically practice, you know, most every day. Get yourself into a situation where you're off on Mondays, and then uh, you know, which is sort of the game week, uh, you know, way to go, and uh, and and get into it. But Gerard uh, will get the the absolute expert of experts about the you know recruiting and what are the game plans and all that, uh, and uh, nobody uh, nobody better to answer those questions. I agree with you there, too, Dad. Well, thanks again, and we'll, uh, we will talk to you next week. Thanks, thanks Ryan. All right, everyone else Bye. back right after the break, talking to Gerard. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We're going to talk some USC football and USC football recruiting with Gerard Martinez since he's playing double duty this time of year, doing our those great freshman notebooks on uscfootball.com and, of course, staying on top of all the recruiting stories. Gerard, what's up? How you doing, man? I'm doing very well. Day off. Got a little sunburn yesterday from a hot scrimmage. It was a very, very, very long day yesterday. It certainly was. It was a long day. We were out there for quite a while, but it was good. I mean, it was, you know, the scrimmage was, it was interesting, I thought. I mean, it just uh, the second one they're doing, they'll do one more of these kind of pregame things, 140 plays. We got to see a lot of the young guys in, so that makes it a little more interesting. Got to see a lot of the young guys, and, you know, it was definitely an evaluation of personnel, I think, by the coaching staff. It wasn't so much groups. Um, they weren't looking first group versus second group, second group versus first group. Basically, the whole time out there, you had like the one-and-a-half group versus the two-and-a-half group and, you know, the, the, the two-and-a-half group versus the three-and-a-half group, although there really wasn't much of a third group, um, you know, in this scrimmage. I think a lot of the guys with some of the injuries and the attrition that you have at this time in camp, uh, really more two groups kind of mixed together. So it was uh, – easier just to look at individual players and see how individual players were playing. And, and some guys stood out. It was probably a fair day for everybody. You know, I think Wittick played very well. Kessler, not quite as well as Wittick, but didn't really play bad either. I think both those freshman quarterbacks have played uh, pretty well here in the last week 
uh, of camp. Uh, you know, Kessler obviously had that uh, pretty huge scrimmage uh, Monday night, which was the first scrimmage, and um, this was Whitick's turn to actually have a, a really good scrimmage, and, and he did. Well, let's get to some questions, because we do have a bunch of questions, and they're voicemail questions. The first one is kind of a double-up question. We had Jim wanted to know about an update on Buck Allen and Junior Pame, and we also have this voicemail question, very similar. Hello, Ryan. Hello, Gerard. This is Enrique from Norco, California. I'm on my way to see one of the most famous Trojans speak tonight, Luis Amparini. So I can't wait. Uh, my question is for Gerard. I was wondering if he knows the whereabouts of Buck Allen or Junior Palme of Moreno Valley and if they're going to be able to play for the Trojans this year. Thank you so much and fight on. He's a Norco guy, so I figured you know, he's out your way that you want to answer that one. Yeah, he's uh, out Palme's way. Actually, he's, I thought he was going to go see Scott Starr in practice or something. Uh, <laughs> Norco, that was the immediate thing that jumped into my head. Um, Scott Starr being the committed linebacker uh, to USC. He's a four-star, 6'3", 225. Uh, pretty good-looking player, and uh, he's, he's been to a few practices. Um, but Junior Palme, uh, another big-time you know, Inland Empire player that signed with USC in the 2011 class. A lot of people want to know where's Junior, uh, where's Buck Allen, a.k.a. Javarius Allen, uh, a.k.a. Uh, Javarius San Diego. Uh, we don't know. Uh, I, I can tell you Palme is at home right now, kind of just hanging out. Uh, Buck Allen might be doing the same. He might be packing his bags, looking to enroll at a JUCO college out here in California. That's kind of a hard thing to really pin down, you know, information on him just because he's – been a guy that's been pretty elusive even through the recruiting process. He was kind of quiet about his intentions and his plans and where he was visiting. Um, so at this point, you know, we really don't know much about Buck Allen. Uh, it didn't seem like we were getting a lot of positive information. The sources that we talked to in Florida seemed to suggest that he was going to be a junior college guy uh, kind of going into the summer with summer school. Uh, with Junior Palmer, it was the opposite. Talked to his high school coach a little bit, talked to some people that were close to him, you know, throughout the recruiting process, and they kind of assured us that, you know, he's got one elective class that he has to take, kind of alluding to the fact that this class was not a class that he actually failed, but a class that he just had to take that he didn't know he had to take. I guess it was not in his transcripts. Um, you know, it could have been maybe a second year of a foreign language, an art class. Sometimes there's just little electives in there uh, that you have to take to transfer over for USC. Um, and he didn't have that class, so he actually was pulled out of summer school at USC and had to start summer school at Rancho Verde to take that class so he could come back in. At this point, we've just not heard any information as to whether those classes are finished. We would assume that they're finished um, with, with both Buck Allen and Junior Palme, but uh, we haven't gotten any confirmation on that yet. And Coach Kiffin really hasn't said any more on that subject other than say that they're not in practice, which is pretty much obvious yeah. when we're there <laughs> we're looking around. You know, they're obviously they're not here. Uh, so we, there's really been no more details given on that. Yeah, Junior Palme, was, it's funny because he was actually enrolled and had to leave USC because of this, this class issue. I did see on his Facebook page recently, it was he had some USC pictures up and stuff like that. So it still seems probably in his mind that he wants to come to USC, but I don't know. We're, we still don't know what's happening there. Yeah, and it's just um, the key date here to remember is August 19th. That's going to be the date where all of the T's have to be crossed and all the I's have to be dotted for the clearinghouse. And that's kind of um, if, if they're in and uh, the freshmen, whatever freshmen, even freshmen that are practicing right now, 
Uh, as, as long as they're in past that date, then they're in. Um, so that's kind of the, the real working date uh, that the coaching staff has to work with. Uh, but, um, you know, with Palme, it, it, you know, we're going to keep following up on it. It seems like, you know, that he should be able to get in, um, and there wasn't really a huge hurdle in front of him. Uh, with Allen, it kind of seemed the opposite. It seemed like he had a lot more work to do, and people were expecting him, at least back in his hometown, that uh, he wouldn't actually get into USC, and he would have to go the JUCO route. Uh, some talk, maybe he would come out to California and go to junior college, which would be an easier transition to USC. Now that I don't know if that's really going to be able to happen. You know, USC is going to have limited scholarships. I don't know if they think enough of him to, you know, have him actually try to transfer in out of junior college as an early enrollee. Um, you know, all a lot of questions that, you know, that, that that's kind of, you know, you cross that bridge when you get to it. At this point, it's where is he? Is he going to be able to come in during the summer? All right. Uh, well, one of the incoming freshmen that was impressive yesterday at the scrimmage and has been impressive the first couple of weeks of camp has been uh, Marquise Lee out of Sarah High School. I think he had seven catches in in the scrimmage yesterday, and we have a question about him for you. Hi, this is uh, Ron. I live up in the San Francisco area and a diehard Chosen fan. My question is about Marquise Lee, the freshman. I noticed they got him uh, as a wide receiver, but I was wondering with his athleticism and speed and, and length and height, uh, had they considered using him in the defensive backfield? I mean, we could use some – some help back there, it seems like, and he'd be the perfect uh, uh, long, tall uh, corner to go opposite uh, Roby on the other side. Uh, what do you think of that possibility? Thank you. I think it's kind of a similar situation they had with Ronald Johnson coming in. You know, Ronald Johnson is a guy a lot of people thought would be, you know, a five-star quarterback for a long time and then came in at USC, worked hard, learned the playbook, and became a guy that impressed enough of the wide receiver position that it was hard to move him over. That's kind of what Marquise Lee is doing right now. Um, I agree totally. I mean, we talked about him coming out of high school as a free safety, and he's just played so well at receiver that it kind of it kind of shows how well he's played at receiver because everybody you know really felt like that was going to be uh, where his all his potential would be at defensive back playing safety uh, that you know is kind of changing everybody's mind. Yeah, you know what? He's probably going to be a receiver. That's probably going to be the position that he's going to end up playing his career at. Now, obviously, he's got a ways to go in front of him, but um, he just played so well at receiver. You know, better than a guy who's a five-star, was, you know, one of the top players in the country, his former teammate, George Farmer, um, it's just it's just going to be harder and harder to be able to pull him away from offense. And it seems like that's where he wants to play. I mean, he was given a preference. He was given a choice. He feels like he plays better with the ball in his hands. And at this point, he's been right. So, you know, it doesn't mean that maybe he would be a better defensive back. Uh, I just don't know if we're ever going to get that opportunity to see him, sort of like Ronald Johnson. You know, there's a lot of people uh, that uh, just, you know, throughout – even his college career, kept talking about, man, you know, what would he look like if he was playing corner? You know, if he was playing corner, you know, he, he you know, his size would be more of an advantage, and you know, he, his quickness would be maybe better than he, you know, he has at the receiver. And Ronald Johnson had a really good career at USC as a receiver, but not necessarily a special one. And so you still, you know, I still even wonder, you know, what, what would happen if Pete Carroll would have put him back at corner? You know, would would he been 
a special corner as opposed to being just a, a good wide receiver for USC. Um, you know, maybe there's some of those questions that, that come up about Marquise Lee if he never flips to the other side uh, and plays a little bit of defense. But as of right now, he's making, you know, all the spectacular plays. I think you would say, hands down, he's probably been the best freshman to this point in camp. Halfway point, I think Marquise Lee's made the most plays. Um, he hasn't necessarily been the most consistent I would say that probably be Amir Carlisle, but as it evens out, highlight plays to consistency. I think Marquis Lee is the guy. Yeah, and I, I think it's interesting he brings up being like a tall corner. And just at looking at the depth chart right now, there, there's a lot of safeties on this team. I mean, you got Drew McAllister who made another nice interception in the scrimmage. Seems to be, you know, he's having a hard time cracking the two deep. It seems with, uh, you know, you got T.J. McDonald in there, but you know, Marshall Jones has been. Starting or Demetrius Wright is kind of playing up with him, and there there seems to be more bodies at at safety for USC right now. If he could be a bigger corner and came in and did that right away, I think that 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 would work well. But like you said, he played safety in high school. It might be more of a project if you wanted to try and put him at cornerback. And I don't I don't know if that's a position he's really played much in his whole life. Um, but you know, athletically, I think he would it would match up well. You put him on uh, opposite Roby, and the way he can jump and run and and how tall he is, I think that would work out well. I just don't know if he would have the impact. I don't, I don't think he could have the impact he's having right now at receiver, like right away. Yeah, yeah, and that's a good point. Just, you know, the, the there is depth at safety. I think Trojan fans, having watched the team last year, though, are very skeptical of a lot of the returning players. Um, there's guys there like Jalonza Starling. There's guys there like Drew McAllister and Demetrius Wright. But they played so poorly last year, especially at the safety position, that there's a lot of names there that get they get glossed over. Um, and now you got Tony Burnett, who was the guy who, who actually played and, and was a little bit of a standout there. You know, at the end of the season, playing safety, and they move him over to cornerback. And so you've got a guy that's got some height at cornerback opposite Roby. Um, they've got you know Anthony Brown basically playing that nickel position, and Torn Harris is starting to come into the mix. And we saw Torn Harris in the scrimmage uh, yesterday, and he was really really good. And that's the best I've seen Torn Harris play maybe ever. So that's positive. But again, you know I can talk about Torn Harris having a great scrimmage. Trojan fans, what they've been able to see was Torn Harris last year and him just not being able to tackle anybody. And, and you know, Jawanza Stalling being completely out of position and seeing guys run right by him like he was standing still. That's what they see. And so I, I understand, you know, they want to interject some talent into that position. You know, hey, this guy sounds like he's a standout, great out of high school. That's where we need impact players. So, you know, it, it's just it's kind of a natural thing. And, and But like you said, right now from what we've seen, that some those positions look solid. So I don't, yeah, like I don't know if if Lee would actually be making a big impact uh, at safety. Um, you know, he would have to be probably in that second team. You know, Drew McAllister's a guy, like a lot of players on this team, kind of like Galippo. Uh, there's a few players that are coming off injury or have been injured throughout their you know career at USC, and if they were healthy throughout the year, Kyle Prater would be another guy. There's a lot of hope there. There's potential there. But we have yet to see it because they have not been able to stay healthy. And throughout you kind of the track record of guys that you look at that get hurt and they're constantly hurt, they never really seem to get healthy. Luther Brown would be an example. So there's, there's a little bit of fear there, I think, when you start talking about a guy like Drew McAllister and there's, you, know, you start going into the depth chart, you know, how those guys can really come in and, and make an impact for the season in the games, you know, what, what's really going to show up on Saturdays. 
All right. Uh, next question. We've got another voicemail question. I'd love to get those voicemail questions. If you want to call us, it's 206-888-6755. We always love getting the voicemails. We can play your question right on the air. Uh, this one is about some scholarship math issues. Uh, this is for uh, Gerard, J.D. from uh, D.C. Gerard. Got a question about scholarship math at this point. Do you think, in the best of all worlds, there's going to be room for, uh, if they're interested, say, in the defensive backfield, Bowman and Seymour, and then at linebacker, you know, a third linebacker in addition to Ruffin and um, um, Star, you know, like Allison, something like that, and on the D-line, you know, if Vatuvai, Shitu, and McCarthy all are willing to sign, you know, do we make room for them, all three of them? And then, of course, in the O-line, do we make room for, say, five guys if they're studs? You know, I, I know this is all very attractive, but at some point in those four positions, at least you can't take all these guys even though you want them. So, you know, what's your best sense of the scholarship math in the best of all worlds? You know, when push comes to shove, where are they going to have to – turn away a uh, really highly desirable recruit because of the scholarship math? Because right now it looks like they're on track to possibly be in that situation. The answer to that question is yes. <laughs> Do I think they're going to try to make room for Seymour and Bowman? Yes. Do I think they're looking for a third linebacker? Yes. Do I think that they want at least three guys on the defensive line, defensive tackle, maybe two defensive ends? Yes. Um, so, yeah, uh, and where do the numbers come from and, and where do they go? Really, you know, it's not going to be an issue of the 15. They're going to take more than 15 in this class. Uh, they're going to take probably 18, maybe 20 guys in this class um, because of, you know, being able to roll over from the 2011 class, uh, some of the guys that maybe didn't get in the 2011 class and some of those numbers that weren't signed uh, for the 2011 class. They're going to have room but the real issue is going to be that 75 limit. And we've talked about this ad nauseum about, you know, whether they're going to cut guys, whether you're just going to have some attrition through academics, you know, medicals. Uh, but, you know, it's going to be one of those things where they probably are going to cut it close. But that's going to be the number that they have to stay under. Uh, but in terms of the way they're recruiting right now and who they're going after and who they're making priorities, I would say yes, yes, and yes. And is it five offensive linemen? That came up in a recent article uh, that we did about Jordan Simmons, Jordan Simmons, 6'4", six, 6'5", six, six, I think it's 6'5", I think he's closer to 6'4", 330-pound uh, guard slash offensive tackle from Encino Crespi High School, uh, one of the best offensive linemen in the country. I, I would say he is probably a five-star level guard. Um, you know, they don't like to give five stars to guards, but he's been so dominant in everything we've seen. I think he's a five-star offensive lineman. He's been at USC, or he was at USC for basically the whole week fall camp, just the first first week he was at four practices, uh, which was really kind of surprising considering we talked to him, you know, previously over the summer, and in June he was talking about USC kind of like they're an afterthought. He was very, um, just, just, just not really excited about USC. He had not really talked about USC in a glowing way. Um, it seemed more like it was a Cal Oregon type thing, and uh, he went up to Oregon, uh, saw Oregon in person, uh, he went to Cal's junior day, raved about Cal, and then we started hearing through the grapevine, you know, maybe this thing was starting to come back with USC, and USC was, you know, making some, some changes a little bit with how they were recruiting him, and uh, a little bit with the communication, and, and, and coincidentally or not, 
there was a little bit of information we were starting to get that things had changed behind the scenes, and, and he was really looking more at USC and Oregon instead of Cal. Now, don't ask me where Cal fell off the boat here. I mean, we still haven't really necessarily put a finger on that. And nor do we know if it's really true. I mean, Cal may still be in it. Obviously, the fact that now he's been at USC for four practices and now is talking really highly of USC shows you that, you know, things can change pretty quickly with Jordan Simmons. Um, but in this article, he mentioned uh, a Fab Five, which I don't necessarily think he came up with himself. Um, I think this is something that he kind of heard at USC and is. Uh, a talk of, you know, the five best offensive linemen on the West Coast all kind of coming and playing together at USC and there being an opportunity for those guys all to make an early impact on the team. And he'd mentioned guys like Andres Pete uh, and, and Joshua Garnett, um, you know, uh, uh, some of the, the, the local players. Uh, obviously, they've already got a commitment from Max Turk, uh, who's probably one of the more underrated offensive linemen um, in the country right now. I mean, there's a lot of people uh, behind the scenes um, people that, that know, that talk about him highly. They talk about him right up there with Kyle Murphy. And uh, there's actually probably some debate with coaching staffs across the country who's the best offensive lineman in Orange County. Um, so that five number kind of came up like, you know, there was some intentions there that USC wants to, <laughs> wants to take five offensive linemen. Now, I think SC fans across the country, especially those in Peristyle country, would cheer on uh, taking five offensive linemen because a lot of people feel like, a, it's a great year for offensive linemen. You can take five guys and not miss on any of them because there's that much talent. B, they need five guys. Uh, you know, all the receivers and, and all these skill players that uh, USC has had committed, um, you know, Trojan fans really feel like the need is that offensive line and, you know, get some, get some offensive line talent in there. So it, 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 if you're going by in terms of the actions of USC and you're reading things through that, it seems like, yeah, they might be taking five offensive linemen. One of the new things that just happened just recently that kind of shows that is the offer to Eric Magnuson, 6'5", uh, 275-pound uh, offensive lineman from Carlsbad, uh, La Costa Canyon, uh, who's a, down there in San Diego, uh, a player that USC you know, really could have offered, I think, maybe in May and had a commitment from on the spot. But they kind of waited, waited, waited. Why did they wait, and why all of a sudden did they offer now? I don't know. And I've kind of tried to ask around to figure out, and there hasn't really necessarily been a definitive answer as to why all of a sudden they would offer him now. Now he's committed to Michigan, so he's a little bullish on USC. He's not quite, you know, like, oh, well, I really like USC. Uh, you know, I'm going to visit. He's, you know, he's kind of playing it cool, and, yeah, you know, it's, you know, I, I, I might look at USC. You know, I might want to take a visit. I, I'm not really sure. I think kind of knowing Eric and having talked to Eric throughout the process that uh, he definitely has an interest in staying close to home. And he's going to definitely have an interest in USC. I, I, you know, Brady Hoke is there at Michigan now, San Diego State ties, so he likes that coaching staff. I think Michigan, he likes the tradition um, and he likes the education. But I just get the feeling like he might be a West Coast kid and USC is still going to have a shot at him. So there's another guy that you can add to the mix. And what I like about Eric Magnuson, and I've said this time and time again, is that Eric Magnuson can play anywhere on the offensive line. Kind of like Max Turek. He's a guy you can throw on the offensive line, and if you need a center, he can play center for you. If you need a right tackle, he can play right tackle for you. If you need a left tackle on the pinch, he can probably play left tackle for you. Guard, it doesn't matter. He could probably long snap. He's one of those guys that's got a nasty streak, and he's completely open to playing wherever, as long as he gets to kick a lot of ass. So he's one of those guys that you just you want kind of in your program 
and it's a great guy to if you want to take five offensive linemen in the class that's a great guy to have in your class because I don't think he's going to really be scared by anybody because he can kind of play anywhere. You don't necessarily say, hey, this is our left tackle, you know, like Zach Banner or, or some of these other players, Andres Pete. You know, you're going to have to bring that guy in as a left tackle, you know, Kyle Murphy. So how many left tackles can you really bring in? How many guys can you tell, hey, you can play left tackle if Matt Khalil leaves? Um, so, you know, with Magnuson, you don't have to have that. So, yeah, there's, there's kind of a, a thought that they might try to take five offensive linemen um, I think if if I had to make a guess, if there was one position out of all those positions, if you're prioritizing, you know, you can't take a number, you know, you can't take the full number at one of those positions. I don't think it's going to be – I think they're going to get one corner, and I think it's Seymour's the guy, especially right now, unless he commits somewhere else. Bowman, he's down at SC a lot. He's talking about, you know, being the future teammate of, of Jabari Ruffin. Uh, you know, he seems really close. Early enrollee, I think that helps USC a lot, and I think that's a really big, valuable point to them with recruiting Gerald Bowman. Um, and maybe the linebacker position, I think, might be the position they have the ability to to, to maybe just take the two that they have right now and rough in at Scott Starr. Um, granted, the linebackers have played really well in camp, and, and Ryan could attest to this. This is uh, this is a, a test to this. Um, that's been one position that's been really good. All, all three guys that they got, uh, they signed all three Army All-Americans, Trey Madden, Anthony Sorrow, and uh, Lamar Dawson have all played extremely well in camp. So they've got to be happy with that. You know, they've got a little bit of depth right now. Um, you know, the world position is, is pretty much stacked. You've got Deion Bailey playing well. Um, Shane Horton's playing over there on the strong side, but he's a guy that could play well in a pinch very easily. He played well, you know, a couple years ago. Um, they've got, uh, you know, Hayes Pullard who can play well. They've got Marquis Simmons. You know, they've got all kinds of guys that can play weak side linebacker. The, the funny thing is, is that that's where they've got Jabari Ruffin coming in. Uh, they've got Scott Starr coming in to play strong side. Mike is really the position that, uh, that, that they need some depth at. You know, they've got Lamar Dawson. Galipo's going to graduate. They really don't have anybody in back of Dawson. You know, there's Dallas Kelly, who's serviceable, but I don't think he's a guy that you, you're going to want to, you know, starting for you for a whole season. Um, you kind of want that young guy in the wings, maybe behind Dawson, that could come in and be a star, or at least a guy that if, if Dawson gets nicked up at some point playing middle linebacker, you can bring in, you feel like you don't, there's not a huge drop-off. So I would say that's the one position, if there's a position that you might have some wiggle room. But everywhere else, I mean, they seem like they've got a guy. There's a target there. They're recruiting him hard. They want him. And so to answer your question, yes. Yes. <laughs> that was the longest yes answer in the history of the Peristyle podcast. I told Ryan that I was going to make it short, <laughs> but that one needed explanation. Awesome. Well, hey, great stuff, Gerard. And uh, we're a little over on the show, but that's okay. No electrons were harmed in the making of this podcast. But great stuff as always, Gerard. Really appreciate you coming on. And uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. Awesome. All right. And everyone else, thank you for tuning into the Peristyle podcast. We'll be back again next week. Looks like our Ustream show this week, we are going to go to McKay's. Should be on Wednesday. So we'll post uh, information on uscfootball.com. But probably Wednesday afternoon between the two-a-day practices. And you can hear from Gerard again. More ramblings on about the USC recruiting machine that's going on and all the scholarship math and all that fun stuff. Because there is lots to talk about with that. But we'll talk to you guys all next week and hope to see you on Wednesday on our Ustream show. You've
You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Thank you.